You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Morning all. It's great to be with you again, working through our series on uh, God at work. It's so important to us, you know, as you've heard us say many, many times, really. You know, we love our Sundays. Sundays are precious for us and... Uh, you know, we can. Uh, it's a safe place for us. This should be one of the safest places in your world where you can come be with your Christian brothers and sisters. You're not going to be judged. You're not going to be beaten up. You'll be safe, cleaned up, sent back out into the world and uh, to the world at work. Uh, so we'll be speaking about um, really a primary application to the world of work. But these principles apply wherever you find yourself at this season of your life, whether you are uh, trying to be an influence in your unsafe family or in your neighbourhood or at the school gate or uh, college, wherever it may be. So I'll be speaking primarily about these principles applied in the workplace, but don't check out if you don't go to a place of work at the moment. These apply to all of us uh, here as uh, sojourners and people passing through this world in this world, but not of this world. So my title today is Lead or Follow, and I'll unpack exactly what that means because that can mean different things in different contexts. What are the implications for us as Christians in the workplace, and in what way are we leaders or followers in that context? Matthew 24, verses 4 to 8, Jesus, this is just by way of context, Jesus describes the day we are living in like this. He says, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. So here Jesus speaks in turn about the effects of sin and belief. First of all, he talks about the spiritual effects of sin and unbelief in verse 5. And then he goes on to talk about the social effects of sin and unbelief in verse 6. And he talks about the international and even the ecological effects of sin and unbelief on the world in verses 7 and 8. It's very important for us to understand this. important for you to anchor your thoughts in this place that the state of the world that we live in, the devastation and the injustice and the evil, all has one root, and the root is sin. The, uh, whether you're talking about uh, the decay in our environment, whether you're talking about unrighteousness in uh, global politics, if you're talking about anything you are thinking about, you can trace the route back to a moral problem. The moral problem is sin. This is what has caused the devastation in the world today. Sin and unbelief has corrupted and polluted God's beautiful world, which he created for us to be a safe place for us to live, somewhere for us to enjoy. One day this will all be renewed. We know that. If you look to the end of the story in Revelations 21 and 22, the Apostle John describes the new earth where nothing impure will ever enter it. And there'll no longer be any curse because sin will have finally been eliminated from God's creation. Hallelujah. 
Looking forward to that day? I am looking forward to that day. Yeah, no more suffering, no more tears, sin, no more sickness, no more fear, no more insecurity, no more broken relationships, no more debt. Because sin will have been finally eliminated. In the meantime, we're living in this world. We don't, we're not of this world, but we're living in this world. And we're not just passive bystanders. We have a mandate from heaven as the church of Jesus Christ. And the mandate is to move out and have an impact on the environment in which we live. Yeah? In, we know, in, you would have read it many times, in Matthew 5 and elsewhere in the Gospel, Jesus speaks of us as being salt in the world. Salt that preserves and deals with pollution. Salt that brings flavor to the world that we're living in. And he goes on to talk about us being a light to the world as well, such that others will see our good works and give glory to God. So even as we start out on this discussion, this is how God sees us. We're here to bring, we're here as agents of anti-corruption. We're here as agents of flavor. We're here to bring light where there is darkness in this world. This is why we are here. And I can go on to say quite confidently, and I believe this with my entire being, Christians are the most powerfully influential people on the face of the planet. (laughs) Christians are the most powerfully influential people on the face of the planet. Are you feeling very powerful and influential this morning? <laughs> yeah. No, we don't feel like that most of the time, do we? Should we be honest? Yeah? That's not exactly how we feel most of the time. But we can't escape it. Any examination of the whole counsel of God will leave you with no other conclusion. Okay? All the difficulties of the world have a moral root. The root is sin. There is only one solution to the curse of sin, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other remedy on the face of the planet. It's not an issue of ideology, you know, trying to sort out our ideology, you know, should it be capitalism or communism or whatever. Well, it's nothing to do with ideology, it's nothing to do with politics. It's nothing to do with social economics. It's nothing to do with psychology. It's all to do with sin and the remedy of sin, which is the gospel. That's the only remedy to the ills of this planet. Okay? And there's only one place from which people are going to receive the gospel of Christ. And that is from the only one who has the words of eternal life, and that is Jesus himself, represented in the earth by us, by his ambassadors, you and me. The body of Christ. This makes us the most powerfully influential people on the face of the planet. We hold the keys to heaven in our hands. We hold the keys of deliverance from hell in our hands. Where else are people going to hear this? Now we know through the interruptive grace of God, he can break into people's lives who've never met another Christian with visions and dreams. We've read about these things. Praise God for that. But his primary expectation is that people will hear about the gospel of grace from you and me. That's God's primary expectation. Through his body, 
with him as the head, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Each member does its part, filled with his spirit, eyes and ears, mouthpiece, hands and feet. We are the body of Jesus in the world today. People are not going to get deliverance or salvation from anywhere else. It's going to come through us and from us. So we are, although I'm not feeling it from you, the most powerfully influential people on the face of the planet. It's the truth. It's the reality. We cannot deny this responsibility. So how are we going to, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to execute this responsibility in the world today? How are we going to do this? And the way we're going to do this today is by looking at the example of Elisha, who was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was the most influential figure in his day. He carried with him the spiritual antidote for the ills of his nation. And we're going to look at this together. And this is uh, something I read in a great little book by a guy called Greg Haslam on Elisha. He says this, Elisha didn't just make pronouncements on the spiritual climate of his age. He brought about change. He was, get this, engineers among us here, a thermostat, not a thermometer. Right, What's a, what does a thermometer do? It takes the prevailing ambient temperature. What does a thermostat do? It changes and controls the ambient temperature. This is really important. This is right at the nub of my message today. All right? God has called us not to be thermometers that just simply reflect the spiritual temperature of our environment. He's called you to be a thermostat that will change the spiritual temperature of the environment that you're in. Okay? This is really, really important. I read this over 20 years ago, and it has gripped me ever since, the idea that Christians are thermostats, not thermometers. A thermometer just tells you what is the temperature. Yeah? A thermostat changes the temperature. The title of this message is Lead or Follow. Are you a thermostat changing the spiritual environment around you, or are you just a thermometer simply reflecting the spiritual culture and conditions in which you live and work. It's a great challenge to us. Okay, and I want to unpack that with us today. So, turning your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Kings 2, verses 19 to 22. We're going to read an episode, uh, situation, an incident with uh, Elisha early in his ministry. So he goes, he's uh, come to the town. The town is Jericho. And the men of Jericho are complaining They're saying to, in verse 99, the men of the city say to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. So Elisha says, well, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him, and then he went to the spring of water and threw salt into the spring and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water, and from now on neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. And so the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke. So here we're going to see a combination of actions and words. It's not simply an act of throwing salt into polluted waters, but acting and speaking as Christians in a way that makes our presence felt in the workplace, in the environments that God will take us. Christians who will be effective agents of change in the workplace, effective thermostats in the world, will be marked by three factors that we see from these verses. Okay? Here we go. Number one, they will be clean vessels. Okay? 
So Elisha said, bring me a new bowl in verse 20, a clean bowl, a bowl not used for any other purpose. It's set apart simply for this purpose. This speaks to us of holiness. It speaks to us of being set apart for the holy purposes of God, not a dirty bowl or a grubby bowl. Okay, God wants his people set apart from common standards and common use. Okay, he's looking for people who are clean inside and out, holy set apart for his use. Robert Murray McShane says this, a holy person is an awesome weapon in the hands of God. Something, someone who has set themselves apart for God. And so I'm going to be clean for you, God. And too often, and I'm speaking to all of us, I'm not just sort of uh, pointing a finger, our effectiveness can be blunted because we're not clean. Now what do I mean by clean? Obviously we've been delivered from the curse of sin, through the obedience of Jesus at the cross and the forgiveness we receive when we turn to him in repentance. But we also know we're a work in progress. We also know that he's working in our lives to bring us day by day conformed to the likeness of Jesus by dealing with ungodly habits and practices and thought patterns that we have left over from our old life that we're trying to get rid of. Yeah. Also, we are moving out into a grubby world. So many of us will go from this place and you'll move out into a grubby world where you're surrounded by sinful attitudes and sinful behavior. Some of that will be your responsibility. You have to go to the workplace and you'll encounter some very ungodly attitudes and practices. Some is where we choose to take ourselves. You know, if you go to a nightclub, you will immerse yourself in in an environment that's not very godly. All right? And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but if you're going to do that, be an agent of change. Be salt and light in there. Don't just be a thermometer and go along with everything else that everybody's going along with. I, I never did get the clubbing culture. I, honestly, I never did. I, it was never my, I, you never caught me busting my moves. But it was not my culture. I never understood it. And I get it. Some people say, you know, well, it's my culture. I get it. And that's great. Okay, but are you an agent of change in that environment? Are you bringing salt and light into that? Are you a thermostat? Or are you just reflecting the temperature? Because if you're going to go and move into that environment, you're going to get grubby. And so if you're going to get grubby, you've got to clean up because God can only use a clean vessel. So if you're sitting there wondering, why am I not having the impact that I should be having in the workplace? One of the things that we need to examine in our own heart is, am I clean? Yeah. Now, the beauty of our relationship of grace with Jesus is that we go back to him every day to be cleaned up. We don't have this expectation that it's a once for all thing. You know, if we... Um, consider that we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us, uh, one John tells us. You know? But we say, no, I'm going to climb on every day onto the altar. Every day I'm going to crucify my own life and I'm going to live for Christ. Every day I'm going to put my own sinful passions or my own sinful uh, ambitions and appetites, I'm going to put them behind me and I'm now going to live in the cleanliness of the, the washing of the blood of Jesus and of the, the, the rinsing of my mind and spirit by his truth, and the empowerment of his spirit, that I'll be a clean vessel in the workplace. You know, God is looking for clean Christians, set apart from the sins of this world, that will entangle us and can destroy our destiny in this life. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, this is the will of God, that your sanctification, that is your separation from the world, so you can be dedicated to the purposes of God, 
Your sanctification is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. He's saying, look, it's going to be different. You're going to be a clean vessel set apart for God. Only a clean vessel can be used by God to counter the pollution of the world. If we are entangled with the same sins and lusts of the world, we can't be used by God. So get clean is the appeal. And it's not uh, an appeal of condemnation. It's not an appeal of tut, tut, tut. It's an appeal of this should be our routine. And we come here to get clean. That we go to Jesus to get clean. Because we're living in a grubby world. Yeah? And we're dealing with old habits of thought and practice from our past that we're growing out of. We, you know, once I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. Now I'm a man. I've got to grow up. Stop behaving like that. Stop putting my eyes and my hands to those uses. Stop crabbing those things in my, my mouth. You know, I'm going I'm to grow up. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be greedy or lustful. I'm going to behave like a man now, not like a child. So we come day by day to Jesus and say, Jesus, clean me. We come together on these occasions. You might come here and you might think the worship was great or you might think, uh, you know, didn't do anything for me this week. That's not the point. The point is you've come here to Jesus. You've come here to the family of Jesus. You've come here to say, Jesus, clean me. Line me up. Straighten me out. Set me up because the real work starts tomorrow. Yeah? That's where the real business happens for this church. It happens tomorrow. This is an important moment, but it's not as important as when you go out into the world and carry with you the representation of Christ into wherever he would take you. That's where the, the real work gets done. We've got to remember that. So, they will be clean vessels. People who are th- thermostats and not thermometers, they will be clean vessels. Secondly, they will have a salty influence. You see Elisha saying, right, I'm going to put some salt into this vessel, chuck it into the spring. Now, the Bible has a fair bit to say about salt. We know it was quite a valuable commodity in Bible times, but it also tells us that if salt lays around unused, it will lose its saltiness. Jesus in Luke 14, he says that unsalty salt is fit for nothing. It's not a lot of use, is it? Let's face it. If you grab down a packet of salt from your cupboard and it doesn't taste of salt, what else can you use it for? You can't really use it for anything. Salt preserves. Salt arrests decay. Salt brings flavor. So the question and the challenge for us today is, how salty are you in the workplace? How salty are you? Or in your college or in your wherever it is that God will take your feet. How salty are you in your neighborhood or in your family? Are you arresting corruption and preserving purity? Are you changing the flavor? I was praying with a friend quite recently and he honestly asked me to pray that he would be more salty at work. And I thought, what a great prayer, you know? What use are we if we've lost our saltiness? You know, we're here to present a different view, a different response, a different flavor. If we taste just like everyone else with the same attitudes and responses, we're worthless. Fit only for being thrown away, Jesus says. So what does salt taste like in the world? So you think, okay, Morris, I want to... 
I want to make sure I'm clean. Come to Jesus daily, ask him to forgive my sins. Keep short accounts. Don't let sin continue for days, weeks, months, years. But I'm going to know I'm going to deal with it. Okay? And keep coming back to him to be cleaned. Now I want to be salty. How am I going to be salty? What does that look like? What does that, what does that mean? Well, I think salt in the workplace tastes like mercy. I think it tastes like grace. It tastes like forgiveness. A peaceful and serene spirit. Supportive and caring. Not speaking badly of people in authority. Not engaging in salacious conversations. Treating people of all stations with honor and dignity. I think this is what it tastes like in the world when we are salty Christians. I, think I, I might have told you the story once. We were, I was, we were at a work do. My work, when I was in the Air Force, Rachel coming as my wife, and the guys were all having their beers as they do, and uh, I was having my one drink that lasted all night and ended up with sort of cigarette butts floating in it and so on and so forth. And... Um, and, and the, the guys the next day, they said to me, oh, your wife, goodness me. Oh, she must have had a few. See the way she was behaving on the dance floor, leading all the dancing and jumping about. I said, uh, she's teetotal. <laughs> That's her usual behavior. She doesn't need any artificial stimulation. <laughs> she is the epicenter of all mischief and fun in any context where you find her. People love her for that. They love her in the workplace for that. Absolutely love her for it. And uh, she's always celebrating people's birthdays in the workplace. And Rachel's uh, sad uh, uh, burden is that her birthday falls in the first week of August, so no one's ever there to celebrate her birthday. Well, this year, I don't think it's ever happened before, this year she went back to work, first day of work after the holidays, and they threw a party for her for her birthday. Say, said, hey, because we missed your birthday. Because she's the one who's always celebrating their birthday all the time. So they said, we don't want you to miss out, so we're going to throw a little party for you. That's right, isn't it? So this is how it can be salty. I'm sure there's many other ways as well. Okay. Elisha threw the salt where it was most needed. Christians need to be active and salty in the most influential arenas of our nation's life. Schools and education, arts and entertainment, national and local government, finance and industry, sports and media, trade unions, social services, hospitals, caring agencies... God wants us there to arrest corruption, to purify and to bring a new flavor or quality to each of these activities. I love this quote from Greg Haslam. He says this, and I believe this. If it wasn't for the church, Satan would already have turned earth into an outpost of hell. The fact that the world has been preserved from total devastation proves that many of God's people are functioning effectively in these realms. It's true. Where's anything good comes from God? Where else is it going to come from? Yeah? We haven't got a benevolent devil. I just want to point that out to you. All right? We don't have a devil who every now and then thinks, oh, I'll cut a bit of slack. Today's going to be cheerful devil day. Eh? <laughs> it doesn't happen, folks. All right? Anything good comes from heaven. Anything good in this world comes from God. Anything good that anybody in this life tastes... There's a great quote from Mark Driscoll. He said that for those who are Christians living in this world is the closest you're ever going to get to hell. For those who are not Christians living in this world is the closest they're ever going to get to heaven. Yeah? 
Anything good in this life comes from God. And if we didn't have Christians out in all these arenas, who knows what devastation would have been wrought by the devil. So we need to be bringing ourselves to Jesus and allowing him to clean us day by day and week by week so that we'll be clean vessels set apart to be useful for God. He can't use a dirty vessel. He can't. And by the grace of God, he doesn't have to. We can come to him and be cleansed, ask for forgiveness, repentance. Say, right, I'm going to go out in the power of Jesus now and in the grace of his love. But also, we ought to be salty. There's no point just being like the people we're among, just having the same attitudes, doing the same things, getting drunk with them, hanging out with them, doing foolish things together. That is not salt. That's just, ta- that's just a thermometer. That's just saying, well, that's the way the world is. I'm going to just be the same. You know, I want to be accepted by my mates. Yeah, well, being accepted by your mates doesn't mean behaving like your mates. Yeah? Being acceptable in the workplace doesn't mean just joining in with all the attitudes and behavior. No, that's not what it means to be salt. And we need to be salty. And thirdly, and finally, if we're going to be agents of change, if we're going to be thermostats and not thermometers, it says here that we speak with authority. We must, if only we could grasp the authority in which we stand as the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. If only we could understand the authority we carry, not just in terms of confuting wisdom, but also in terms of engaging with the world of the spirit and driving out demons and delivering situations from the grip of the enemy. If only we understood a measure of the authority that you genuinely possess, your life and the life of this church would be very different. It really would. Elisha performs this symbolic action of throwing salt into polluted water and he speaks words with God-given authority. This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. There's a great quote from a guy called Paul Bilheimer. Anybody heard of Paul Bilheimer? Don't worry, neither have I. But it's a great quote. He says, "Through, Through the use of her weapons of prayer and faith, she, the church holds in this present moment the balance of power in world affairs. In spite of all her lamentable weaknesses, appalling failures, and indefensible shortcomings, the church is the mightiest force for civilization and enlightened social conscience in the world today. So I'm not the only one who thinks that you're the most influentially powerful people in the world today. Me and Paul, all right? If that's not enough for you, I don't know what is. (laughs) God has given us authority. He's given his people authority. He holds us, he's given us this beautiful responsibility and privilege to uphold his will, to administer directives in the earth today. We catch God's mind. We speak his thoughts, specific words for specific situations. Men and women of the Spirit in the workplace, in the world. We do this by many means. We pray, we testify, we prophesy, we teach, we preach. We model beautiful, godly attitudes. Here we see Elisha is speaking forth not just any words, but words of creative force that will effect change. He confronts 
names and calls a halt to corruption. Now, I think there's some people that need to hear this, all right? It's, uh, Elisha confronts corruption. He names it and he calls it out, all right? I just want to I think that for a, a few people in this room, in the workplace, you're looking at something and thinking, that's wrong. Someone needs to do something. Someone needs to say something. Well, I'm speaking prophetically to you now. In all grace and humility and mercy, you must confront this. You must stand up and speak against it. In all love and tenderness and saying this is not right. Something has to be done. You need to call out the corruption and name it for what it is. And you're thinking, well, you know, I could be rejected. My career could suffer. People could despise me. Yeah, but you're saying the most beautiful things they need to hear. You're saying the words of Jesus. You're trying to deliver them from the grip of the enemy. Elisha speaks wholeness into the whole situation. He commands fruitfulness from that point onwards. And it may be of interest to you to know that two and a half thousand years after these events, the spring at modern Jericho is still sweet and is still called Elisha's fountain. And God wants to use you in similar ways today. He wants you to speak with the authority he has given you. Wherever you are, wherever you go, tomorrow morning, it's beautiful to be together here on a Sunday. We look forward to this every week. Can't wait to be with our Christian family, to encourage each other, clean each other up, straighten each other out. But the real business starts tomorrow, okay? All right? What you do in engaging the world in taking your little alpha postcards and taking your clean but salty attitudes with you is much more significant for the sake of the mission of God in the world today than what is happening here. What we're doing here is setting you up to do that. And he wants you to take, wherever you go, he wants you to take the poison. He wants you to take the barrenness. He wants you to take the death out of your environment transfer it into an oasis of life, interest, color, humor, sparkle, care, fun, joy. Just as Elisha did. He wants you to lead in the world today, not follow. He doesn't want you to just reflect the atmosphere and the temperature of the world that you live in. He wants you to change it. And we change it by coming to Jesus and saying, clean me up. Fill me with salt. Send me out with authority. I'm going to be an agent of change wherever you take me in my life day to day. Amen? So we're going to, uh, in a moment, we're going to, to worship Jesus, just bring our hearts back to him. And there'll be an opportunity for you to uh, receive prayer. Maybe you're just thinking, oh, you know, I feel such a failure, Morris. You know, I'm at work. And, look, I, and I spent 10 years in the military. I'm not pointing a finger here. Well, you know, we all know what this feels like. We think, oh, you know, I just wish I'd spoken up. You know, it's embarrassing now to tell this person I'm a Christian. They've known me for ages and I've never told them before. You know, or you know, what, what if I you know, stand up to that person? Am I, what the consequence is going to be? You know, or, you know, I haven't been very salty. I've just been... Well, we've all been there. We all know what that feels like. I don't want you to beat yourself up about that. What I want you to do is come to Jesus... And say, clean me up. Make me useful. Make me fit for purpose. And fill me with salt so I can go out and be a blessing to 
preserve and to arrest corruption and to bring flavor wherever you will take me. So we want to pray for you for that. If you're just feeling, you know, well, let's pray and let's put that behind you. Let's just ask God to forgive us and and put that behind you. And let's pray that he will commission us afresh. Come down. We want to lay hands on you, commission you, empower you with the Holy Spirit, that you will be aflame for God and you will be thrust out for witness. You'll be walking by the Spirit. Those who live by the Spirit will not gratify the desires of their sinful nature. You will be clean. And you will walk out with pockets full of salt, sprinkling it everywhere. Try not to do it in too big a clump. All right? Just a sprinkle. You know, because otherwise you're a bad taste in people's mouth. But a bit of salt is good. Too much salt, not always so good. You know? Sometimes Christians can be sort of like pouring out the whole package. Little person disappears under a little pile of salt. Just a bit of salt, a bit of salt. And they say, mm, 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 mm. this tastes a bit salty. <laughs> yeah? Let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, God looked down on this corrupt, fallen world, and then he threw you into the middle of that as, as a, a clean, sinless Offering that has completely transformed the spiritual atmosphere, that has broken the curse of sin and death, that has opened the way to eternal existence with you. Jesus, thank you that you, have, you are that salt sent from heaven that has cleansed the river, that has overcome corruption and pollution, that has brought flavor to our lives. Jesus, we're so grateful that you are the one who has the words of eternal life and you invite us to take responsibility for sharing those words with people around us. So I pray for each one of us in this room, Lord Jesus, that we would not be coy about being clean, that we would not think, oh, I can't come to you now, you know, I'm so dirty. No, that's exactly what we need to do. You're the only one who can help us. We want to come running to you, Jesus, in our grubby states, I say, clean me up, Jesus. I want to be useful. I can't be useful while my hands are grubby. I can be be useful when you clean me up. Forgive me for my grubby behavior and grubby thoughts and grubby attitudes. Clean me up, Lord Jesus, and put salt in my pocket. I can take the attitude of Jesus into the workplace of forbearance and tolerance and mercy and grace. I want, that's what I want to be like in the workplace, Jesus. And I want to speak truth in love and in authority that will transform lives, transform working environments. Pray for that, Lord Jesus. You fill me with your spirit that will overwhelm all my natural inclinations and objections and will carry me out in the purposes and in the witness of Christ that I will be salt and light wherever you take me. I pray for that, Lord Jesus. And we pray for ourselves in this way. We're going to bring our worship to you, Jesus, now. We're going to honour you in our hearts. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.